Welcome to the Alpha Ministries podcast. Alpha Ministries is a recovery church whose mission is to teach individuals and institutions to recognize and apply the gospel of grace, building stronger families and communities. Today's podcast is sponsored by TJB Web Media, a New Jersey SEO marketing and WordPress web design company for businesses, churches, and nonprofits. It's a number one ranked company in Google for New Jersey SEO company and New Jersey internet marketing. Check out their information in our show notes. Today's podcast is part 10 of the Walking Backwards series. John's been teaching Sunday mornings at Church in the Woods at Freedom Ranch. Without further delay, here's John. Did you all catch the the way that Bill translated Just a Closer Walk with Thee, that old hymn? Just a backwards walk with thee. And he came up with that when we started our study on walking backwards. So it's kind of our theme song, Bill. You got that's good. All right. I was going to be down in the Keys enjoying myself this weekend, but Sam got sick, so we couldn't go. She had uh, kind of a light dose, I think, of COVID, and she overed it. I haven't got it, thankfully, Uh, but it's... You know, I'm reluctant to call it COVID anymore. I think I'll just call it the flu. That's basically what it was to begin with, all right? So, anyhow, she's recovering well, doing good. And uh, it's good to see all of you. We're going to continue our study in walking backwards here today with one of the, by looking at one of the most important ways that this lifestyle we're studying of grace and truth, which is totally different than our natural lifestyle of law and lies, one of the the single biggest factor that makes it backwards is the fact that you have the Spirit of God living inside that new person He made you to be. The fact that you have the Spirit of God living in you to lead you, guide you, direct you, empower you, comfort you, remind you, and all the other ministries that the Spirit of God does for you personally is what actually makes our walk totally different than the natural lifestyle we were born into. You see, the natural lifestyle we were born into, as we studied last week, was a lifestyle that I characterized as a lifestyle of the flesh. What I mean by the flesh is not just this physical body, but the nature that this body holds. A nature that is totally opposed to God. A nature that is enmity against God. As we studied last week in Romans chapter 8, you have a natural mind. And that mind is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. So it's totally backwards to this, this lifestyle where we're studying. The lifestyle of grace and truth is exactly like the way that Jesus lived. He lived his daily life under the leadership and power and direction of the Spirit of God. Now, last week I mentioned to you, I think, the the situation in which Jesus received the Spirit. You might say, well, he was God. He was born 
with the Spirit. No. He grew up just like the rest of us. He had to grow up. He had to mature from an infant into an adult. And when he became an adult, and he appeared to John the baptizer while he was baptizing people in the Jordan River, he told John, you've got to baptize me. Now think of this picture. It's hard, it's, it's hard to see just by words, so I want to paint a picture for you so you can see what I'm talking about. John, the last Old Testament prophet, came in into the region of the, the Jordan River preaching one message. Repent, for the kingdom of head is at hand. Now, what that meant was change the way you're thinking. See, your natural thinking, the way we naturally think, is according to that carnal mind which, as I've already said, is enmity against God. It can never be reconciled with God. And so John came preaching, preparing the way for the Messiah. Specifically. What he meant by that is quit thinking that you're going to save yourself by what you do or don't do according to a list of religious regulations. You see, all Israel, the only thing they had was the, quote, old covenant of law. What that meant was this. If you behaved yourself, God would bless you. But if you didn't behave yourself, God would curse you. Does that sound familiar to you? Hmm? Have you been taught that before? And it's a strong reason for those who say you got to know the difference between right and wrong. You've got to know the knowledge of good and evil. Now trace that back all the way to the garden. Remember that tree in the garden? God said, I don't want you to eat of this tree. That was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what was that tree used for? It was used to prove that we need a Savior. You see, here's the problem. We're all born thinking that we need to learn the knowledge of good and evil to be able to do what's right and not do what's wrong. The only problem with that is you can know the difference between good and evil all you want to, but you still can't make yourself quit doing wrong and start doing right. Now, with that in mind, Jesus came to John, who was saying, repent. And all the people that heard his message, and then the hundreds of them came out from Jerusalem and all the regions around to hear and listen to what he was saying. And all those people that came out as a sign of their repentance submitted to his baptism. So get this picture in your mind. Here's John wading in the Jordan River. He's out, I don't know, knee deep, waist deep in the water. And here's all these multitude of people coming to him. And they are repenting as best they can. And they come to him to be baptized as a sign of their repentance. So really, the picture of the symbol, symbolism there represents the fact that they came to John with all of their sins and all of their dysfunction and they said, we want God to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And John baptized them actually picturing the fact that their sins and dysfunction were washed away. Now, if all those sins and dysfunction was washed away in the Jordan River, 
and they came up squeaky clean, where's all their dysfunction and sins? Well, it's still in the river, right? It made the river funky spiritually and symbolically. Now, here comes Jesus who had no sin at all. And he came walking there while John was preaching. In fact, John recognized him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. Here comes Jesus wading out in that funky water that held all the sin and dysfunction in it. And he told John, he said, you need to baptize me. And John freaked. He said, you don't need to be washed off. You don't need to be cleansed. I know who you are. But Jesus told John, he said, do it, John. For you and I have got to do it to fulfill all righteousness. And what he was saying, in essence, was this. I have to be baptized or immersed into all of the sin and dysfunction of the world so that I can identify fully with humanity in its sinful condition. So that humanity can identify fully with me in my righteousness. Now that was just a little picture of what the Spirit was going to do to save us. What God was going to do for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. And so John acquiesced. He said, all right. And he baptized him. Now, when Jesus came up out of the water, John gave witness to the fact that he saw the heavens open and the Spirit of God in the form, bodily form of a dove came and rested on Jesus. And from that moment on, Jesus was empowered, was led, was directed, was comforted by the Spirit of God in everything He did and said throughout His ministry. The key to Jesus being able to fulfill His ministry, His mission in this earth, on this earth was the power of the Spirit resting upon Him. That's why later He would say, as John intimated in his preaching, he said, I baptize you with water, but there's one that's coming that will baptize you with fire, cleansing you. And he was talking about what Jesus was going to do for each of us. Now, the one that mediates that is the Spirit of God. He's the one that does it. So, let's just bring it home in our lives on a practical level. When you trusted Jesus, when you received Him as your personal Savior, a miracle happened. You were born of the Spirit. Like Jesus told that religious leader Nicodemus, He said, except you be born from above, you'll not even see the kingdom of God. You are born of the Spirit. You are sealed by the Spirit. You are indwelled with the Spirit of God. Just like Jesus was at His baptism. And from that point on in your life, you are to be led, directed, empowered, comforted, and reminded by the Spirit of God. But see how backwards that is to our normal thinking. Now all of you, I'm assuming you'll probably answer this correctly, but a lot of times when I'll ask someone, what's God telling you? They look at me like an Okeechobee cow looking at a new gate. They say, what? Yeah, what's God telling you? 
I could even get more dramatic with it and say, what's God telling you today? Unless you can answer that question, you don't have the fullness of the blessings of being filled with the Spirit. See, the way God talks to us is through His Spirit. He talks to us through that close, intimate connection we have with His Spirit. Which is why last week we took the time to look at the first part of Romans chapter 8 in describing the provisions given to us by the Spirit. The first provision is you're under no condemnation. You can relax. You can chill out. God is not condemning you. Even though you still have a sin problem. God does not condemn you because He separated you, the new person He made you to be, from your sin in the flesh. You are not condemned. Although God has condemned the sin in the flesh through Jesus. You have a brand new mind now. The mind of Christ. What allows you to think like Jesus? His Spirit working in you. Transforming and renewing your mind. So you can begin to think like Jesus. And finally, we studied the fact that that same Spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead after His crucifixion, is now, this moment, living inside of you to make this mortal, sin-cursed body we've got come alive with the very life of Christ. You see, the key to our walk on this earth is the Spirit of God living in us. The biggest difference between that and our old lifestyle we're used to is what we used to base our life on. All our decisions is our own understanding of what's right and wrong. Of what we think is necessary to make us okay. Instead, we must learn to trust the Spirit of God leading us in every decision we make. Now, having said that, there's one other point I want to comment on real quick so we can tie it together. Having said that, you know that you're this brand new person created in Christ, right? But you still live in the mortal body that's sin-cursed and has the presence and leftovers of what the Bible calls the flesh or sin that dwells within us. And there's a war going on inside of you between the Spirit of God and your flesh. You see, it takes the Spirit of God to deal with your flesh. You've got to have it. Otherwise, the flesh will rule your life. Now, what's so bad about that? is the works of the flesh. If you look at Galatians chapter 5, there's a whole list given of the works of the flesh. And they're nasty, believe me. The works of the flesh is a normal lifestyle we're all born into. The way to get out of that is through the Spirit. And so last week we talked about walking after the Spirit instead of after the flesh. That being the case, we now need to look at what it means not to walk after the Spirit. That means you're a brand new person created in the Spirit. But what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? And what does it mean to walk through the Spirit? Let me explain. In Romans chapter 8, in verse 12, after all these provisions of the Spirit, he goes on to tell us, Therefore, 
Here's a bottom line conclusion. You are no longer debtors to the flesh to live after the flesh. What does that mean? It means you don't have to go on being dysfunctional. You don't have to go on being totally sinful and living that way. No, you've got a better way to live. A much better way to live. Several years ago, we had a little youth gathering down here at the bowling alley. It's called Friday Night Done Right. And Daniel, some of you know Daniel Records, kind of headed that up. And his main message, it was an anti-drug uh, kind of function. And his main message was this to those kids. You are too good to do that to yourself. You are too good to live that way. And it's the same message for all of us. We are too good, having been created in Christ Jesus, to live according to the flesh. And he goes on to tell us, if you continue to live according to the flesh, you'll die. What does that mean? The wages of sin is what? Death. If you keep on living after the flesh, you die personally. It means you think of yourself as being insecure, insignificant, unimportant, worthless, no good. With that kind of attitude about yourself, how do you suppose you're going to act? If you're thinking that you're worthless and no good, you're going to act like it. And if you act like it, how do you suppose you're going to relate? When you're thinking you're no good, and you're thinking according to the flesh, trying to do everything you know to do to make yourself righteous, your relationships suffer because you're too selfish to have a loving relationship with anyone. See, that death he's talking about, if you continue to walk or to live in the flesh, you're going to die. But, verse 13, he says, if you allow through the Spirit, the Spirit to put to death the deeds of the body, you shall be caused to live. You see, one of the main functions of the Spirit of God is to put a lid on your flesh. To put a lid on your dysfunction. To put a lid on all the craziness you were born into. And I think about over my, back over my life and I think about what things I did according to the flesh and didn't get caught. That's important not to get caught when you're living after the flesh. I have to stop and consider, who did that? Was it me doing that? No, it was the Spirit of God putting the lid on my flesh all the time. Now, I know that's negative. And we'll get to the positive side of it here in a moment. But that's why Paul said, if you, through the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body, you should be caused to live. So this new lifestyle we're talking about is made possible only by the Spirit. Okay, The Spirit of God working in us, transforming our minds, changing our feelings, comforting us, and empowering our behavior changes from the flesh to the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit then becomes the critical ingredient of our daily experience. So how do we do this? Well, Paul doesn't leave us wondering how to do it. He goes on and tells us. And this may come as a shock to you, but I want to read these verses to you and then we'll talk about it. Verse 14, he says, For as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. 
As many as are led by the Spirit are the children of God. Now, you can turn that around and say the children of God are led by the Spirit. If you are a child of God, you right now are being led by the Spirit. I know that might come as a shock, but it's true. You're being led by the Spirit of God right now. That Spirit that lives inside the new person you are. You're being led and directed by that Spirit. And if we get honest with ourselves, we might say, well, how come I don't know that? I mean, evidently, Paul knows it. God knows it because he wrote it here. You as a child of God, you're being led by the Spirit. Well, what's keeping me from understanding that? What's keeping me from experiencing that? He goes on to answer. He says in verse 15, and this is a very, very important verse here. He says, For you have not received the spirit of bondage or slavery again to fear, but the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Aramaic word for daddy, father. What's he selling us here? You don't have anything to worry about being led by the Spirit. In fact, it's all good. Every bit of it's good. So what keeps us from following that? Well, the first thing that keeps us is we don't, Realize that the Spirit of God is talking to us. We don't realize that. In fact, for most people, it's very difficult for them to understand how the Spirit of God is talking to them. That's a difficult thing. And there's a couple reasons for that. It's not just your conditioning, although that's the biggest part. Your conditioning in the world and in the flesh. You're not used to hearing God. In fact, before you became a child of God, you were afraid of God. And a lot of that carried over even to after you were a Christian. And so, being afraid of God and not knowing that He's talking to you, you're not listening. Now, if you're not listening, you're not going to hear Him. See, I'm deaf in my left ear and going deaf in my right ear. And if I don't know you're talking to me, I'm not going to hear you. I guarantee you. Somebody can come up on the left side of me and start talking. I'm not going to hear it. Why? Because I don't know you're talking to me. Now, if I know you're talking to me, I'll kind of look at you and try to read your lips at least. Main reason we don't hear God talk to us through His Spirit is we don't think He is talking to us. And so we don't bother to listen. Another important reason is we're afraid of what He's going to tell us if we hear Him. We're afraid that God is going to tell us something that we need to quit doing that we like doing. We enjoy it. And we're afraid that He's going to tell us to quit doing that. Or we're afraid that He's going to tell us to start doing something that we don't want to do. In other words, we're expecting Him talking to us to be condemnation, criticism, and in general essence, just being mad at us. That's not God talking to you. Why? Because you've not been given the spirit of bondage again to fear. You don't have to worry about God talking to you. You have to want it. It's necessary. It's something that's good for you. It's not something that's bad for you. You know, I can't think of anything more important in my life to hear 
that what God is telling me to do through the Spirit on any given issue, on any given day. Why? Because that's how He intends to empower us to live this brand new lifestyle of grace and truth. It is through His Spirit. Now the spirit of bondage again to fear is the idea that we get, the religious idea that God's going to tell us something we don't want to hear. But it's not true. He's going to talk to us as His adopted child. I really didn't understand what that meant until I adopted my daughter, Angela. And I experienced the spirit of adoption. As her daddy, adopted daddy, I didn't want, I wanted to talk to her. I couldn't because she didn't understand when she was a little baby. I wanted to talk to her. I wanted to tell her everything I had for her. I wanted to tell her everything I wanted to do for her. But she couldn't hear me yet. I did not want to tell her what she had to do for me. And people get that mixed up all the time. They think if you're going to listen to God, you're going to listen to what He says you have to do. Listen, it's not a have to do thing. Because His love is so inclusive and so powerful. Anything God tells you is good for you. Anything He relates to you is for your benefit. To bring that home, in verse 16, Paul tells us, His Spirit, Spirit of God, bears witness with our spirit. What's that mean? His Spirit is always talking to you in the Spirit, that new person you are. Well, what's he saying? His Spirit is always talking to you concerning who God has made you to be, which is His beloved child in whom He's well pleased. What's bad about that? There ain't nothing bad about that. That's good. I want to hear that. I want to know that. My security depends on that. My importance relies upon that. His Spirit talking to me personally, convincing me that I am His beloved child in whom He is well pleased. See, that's totally opposite to the religious idea that people have that His Spirit is going to be a spirit of conviction that's going to tell you how screwed up you are and how condemned you are and what you need to do to change it. When you hear that, that's not God. Oh no. That's the enemy accusing you. That's not God. What God wants to tell you is how important you are. What He wants to tell you is how much He loves you. How much He cares for you. How He's designed your life. And how He works all things together for your good. See, God's message is always good news. Always good news in Christ. Now, let's get a little more specific than that. Going over to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, we have a little verse there that needs to be understood concerning our walking in the Spirit. Paul simply writes there in Ephesians 5.18, Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. What does he mean by that? Let's take it apart. He says, first of all, I want you to be filled with the Spirit. That's not an invitation. That's a command, by the way. Okay, that's not a suggestion. That is what you need desperately to be filled with the Spirit. But what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? That's why I put it in contrast here with being drunk with wine. You all know what it means to be drunk, right? Don't tell me you ain't gotten drunk before. Okay. 
you know what it means to be drunk. That alcohol controls you. Controls your thinking, controls your movement, controls the body. Well, that's all he's saying here. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess. Don't allow anything to control you other than the Spirit. Now, the neat thing about this is that that control that the Spirit has is far better than the control the wine has. But how do we allow that to happen? First of all, you need to understand this is a command written in the imperative voice, which means you must be controlled by the Spirit. Secondly, this command is written in the present tense, in the present voice, or in the passive voice, in the present tense, which says this, continually allow yourselves to be filled with the Spirit. See, being filled with the Spirit is not something you do to yourself. It's something that's done to you. I know there's all kinds of people, especially back in the 70s and 80s, there were a lot of churches that told you how to be filled with the Spirit and told you if you were filled with the Spirit, there would be certain indications that you are filled with the Spirit, one of which was speaking in tongues. That's not the indication that he's talking about here. He's talking about you being continually, you continually allow yourself to be controlled by the Spirit. You know what that means? It means you allow yourself to be controlled by the Spirit when you get in the car and leave. You allow yourself to be controlled by the Spirit when you go to Denny's for lunch after church. You allow yourself to be controlled by the Spirit when you go home and kick back and relax. You allow yourself to be controlled by the Spirit when you get up and go to work. You allow yourself to be controlled by the Spirit every minute of your life, just like Jesus was. That's not hard. It's not something you have to do, remember? It's something you simply allow. And you allow it by faith. You allow the Spirit of God to control you. My favorite saying, God and His Spirit is just simply this. I'm willing to do anything you want. I'm willing to go anywhere you want. Want me to. I'm willing to say anything you want me to say. I'm willing to do what you want. That's allowing the Spirit of God to control your life. See, when you make that statement, you're giving up control of your life. I like the way the AA program puts it in step three. You turn your will and your life over to the care of God. It's up to you. Whatever you want for me. I know it's the best thing for me, and I trust you. You see, allowing yourself to be filled by the Spirit is a daily experience. It's not something you do in a church service. It's not something you do in a Bible study. It's something you do every single day of your life. Why? Because you're alive every day in the Spirit. You're walking after the Spirit, not after the flesh. So in order to experience that, you're going to have to make a choice on a daily basis and most of the time, many times during the day, of who's going to run the show here. You? With your vast knowledge of right and wrong, good and evil, and your own power to do what you think you ought to do? Or are you going to let God run it through His Spirit in His power, in His strength for His glory? See, that's a simple decision here. And when you you break it down like that and you you stop and look look at it like that, it's really a no-brainer. 
I mean, really, you don't have to think about it. It's like trying to think about or have to decide whether or not you'll receive a gift of a thousand dollars. Do you have to think about that? Somebody comes to give you a thousand bucks? Do you have well let me think about this? Hmm? No, you run cash check before it bounces, right? So you don't have to think about that. It's a no brainer. To be filled with the spirit is a no brainer. That's your birthright as a Christian, as a child of God. Your birthright is to be controlled by the Spirit of God, just like Jesus was. He gives it to you. Now, one other thing I want to comment on about this being controlled by the Spirit. There are two other Scriptures Paul writes concerning are being filled with the Spirit or being controlled by the Spirit. The one is found right there in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. It says, literally, stop grieving the Spirit. Stop grieving the Spirit? What does that mean? See, anytime you launch off in your own program. You decide, according to your knowledge of good and evil, what's best for you without reference to God whatsoever. You grieve the Spirit. Now that term, grieve the Spirit, is interesting because you would think, if I was going to do my own thing when the Spirit wants me to go here and I decide I'm going to go here, you would think that would make the Spirit of God mad, right? That's not what it does. He's not mad at you. He's grieved. He's grieved because he's lost you in an everyday situation. He's grieved. So how do we stop grieving the Spirit? We quit listening to our own plan, our own wonderful plan for our life. Someone said... It made it humorous, I think, that if you want to make God laugh, tell Him your plan. Whatever your plan is to save yourself. That'll make God chuckle. But it'll also grieve the Spirit. The other Scripture is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, where He simply says, stop quenching the Spirit. Now, if you tell somebody to stop doing something, it's assumed that they're already doing it, right? So if He tells you to stop grieving the Spirit, that means you've been grieving the Spirit. If He tells you to stop quenching the Spirit, that means you've been quenching the Spirit. That will, in your mind, diminish your experience of walking in the Spirit. And so what He says is stop quenching the Spirit. What does that mean? How many of you know that if you don't come up with a plan for your life, there are plenty of other people around you that will. Right? They, got, they know exactly what you need to do. And they'll have this wonderful plan for your life. I kid, kid around with people about that. When I, I have to have something done or I need something done, I'll tell them, you know, God loves you. And I have a wonderful plan for your life. When you listen to other people's opinion, when you listen to other people's plan for your life, more than you listen to God, you're quenching the Spirit. Not in the sense that you put Him out, but in the sense that He has no power in you. So stop grieving the Spirit. Stop quenching the Spirit. The bottom line Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. See, the key to our freedom in Christ from all the dysfunction and sin in the world is to walk in the Spirit. 
And even though it's backwards to the way the world works, it is nonetheless the key to your freedom and your liberty. Walk in the Spirit. And the guarantee, you're not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. You can't. He explains in the next verse, in verse 17, why. He says, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. These two are contrary one to the other. Now keep in mind this picture. In this one mortal body you've got, in which that new person God has made you to be lives alongside of that flesh that was left over from who you used to be, there's a conflict. Now, you know the conflict Paul had in Romans chapter 7. He said, when I want to do what's right, I can't do it. When I want to quit doing what's wrong, I do it anyhow. That was a conflict that he had when he was trying, as a new person, was trying to fight his flesh. Trying to behave. And he failed miserably. He couldn't behave himself. But this conflict that Paul's talking about in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, is a conflict between your flesh and the Spirit of God. Who do you suppose is going to win that fight? See, the Spirit of God will always win. So he says, you can't keep on doing whatever you want to do. That's why you need to turn your will, your want, over to the care of God. You can't keep on doing whatever you want to do. You're out of the picture here. Walking in the Spirit is the guarantee that you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh, but you will fulfill the will of God. Why? Because the Spirit's in charge. He's fighting your flesh. You're not. So you can relax. You know, I've told people a lot of, a lot of times in different ways, you need to quit trying hard to be a good Christian. Because your efforts trying hard to be a good Christian according to your knowledge of what's right and wrong will fail every time. That's another way of saying that when you walk in the Spirit, the Spirit controls the flesh and the Spirit has already made you a good Christian. He's already made you perfect. He's always made, already made you holy and without blame before God. So you can relax. You can chill out here a little bit. And what's the ultimate benefit for that? When you are walking in the Spirit and the Spirit is warring against your stinking flesh, He sets you free. Free to do what? He sets you free to actually fulfill the new commandment that Jesus left us with. To actually love one another just like Jesus loved us. You see, that's the real benefit for being filled with the Spirit. That's the reason Jesus was filled with the Spirit. He didn't come here to be ministered to or to love, be loved and accepted and not rejected. He came here to minister, to love us. You are representing Him as His child. Filled with His Spirit, you are representing His life on this earth in real time. In which you, following the leadership and power and comfort of the Spirit, are being Christ to others and fulfilling that new commandment of loving one another even as He loved us. So I'm going to quit here and close I'll ask the men to you know, serve communion. Go ahead and prepare it for us. And while they're doing that, I want to make one other connection here with you concerning walking in the Spirit. It is not only our privilege 
to walk in the Spirit and have the Spirit comfort us and direct us and empower us in everything we do. But it is also a fulfillment of what we were studying when we studied Hebrews. A fulfillment of that new covenant. You remember the terms of the new covenant? You remember how God said, I am going to write my law on your hearts and put it in your inward part. In other words, he said, I'm going to make you behave yourself. I'm going to make you act like Jesus. I'm going to make you love others just like I do. First term of the new covenant. The second term is just as important. He said, you're not going to have need that anybody tell you what to do about me. I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. What's he talking about there? He's talking about this close, intimate relationship we have with God through His Spirit. You see, the, the Spirit and His work in our lives is what fulfills that new covenant, the new promises of God. I'm going to make you behave. And you're going to know me. You're going to understand me. And the last term of the new covenant, your sins, your iniquities, your flesh, I will remember no more. I will no longer identify you as your flesh. You see, we all grew up born in this physical body with the flesh. We all grew up with a false identity who we thought we were according to how we were conditioned growing up. God says, I'm not going to remember that identity. Why? Because He crucified that identity, buried it with Christ, and gave you a new identity in Christ. Your sins and your iniquities I will remember no more. Now, when we stop and think about that, fulfillment of the new covenant is accomplished by the function of the Spirit in your life. How the Spirit of God works in you and that new person He's made you to be. That's, what fulfill, that's how He fulfills the new covenant. He doesn't leave it, us up, leave it up to us. Remember, the old covenant was, it was left up to you, right? If you behave yourself, I'll bless you. If you don't, I'll curse you. That's the old covenant. But having done away with the old covenant, we are now living under the new covenant in which God says, point blank, I'm going to make you behave yourself according to my righteous standards. I'm going to know you personally and you're going to know me personally. That's accomplished through His Spirit. And your sins and iniquities I'll remember no more because you're no longer the same person you've always thought you were. A marvelous provision of this new lifestyle we have in Christ. And the new covenant that God established was not just with Israel, it was with all humanity. That includes all of us. And that new covenant is a new covenant of grace. Not a covenant of works. So lest you misunderstand anything I've said today about the Spirit, it's not up to you. Okay? It's not up to you. I don't want you jumping through all kinds of religious hoops trying to get filled with the Spirit. It's not up to you. It's up to God. Your part, like everything, every issue in the Christian life, your part is to simply trust God to do what He said He's going to do. That's all. It's your faith. Your part is to be willing. Your part is to allow Him 
to work with you and to consciously look for that in your life. His part is to make it happen. His part is to make it real. His part is the power to accomplish that new covenant in your life. So the night before Jesus was crucified, He took the elements of what we call the Lord's Supper or the last meal. We call it communion because this is how we're related to God. And when Jesus established this, He said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of Me. Well, what are we remembering about Jesus? We're remembering that He's done everything for us. It is finished. We can now rejoice in the goodness of God. We can rejoice in His love for us. We can look forward to what He has planned for us. We can listen to His voice through His Spirit. What did it take for that? The blood of Jesus Christ represented by this cup. His sacrifice on the cross put to death the old person you were and raised up a new person. His sacrifice on the cross is actually what makes you holy and righteous and without blame before God in love. That same night, He took the bread and when He'd broken it, He said, this is my body which is being broken for you. You see, these are not just theoretical ideas or constructs we're talking about. They're practically experienced in our relationships one with another. That's what the bread represents. It represents the body of Christ. It represents all of you being joined together in the same Spirit in Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, we remember this. We remember what You've done for us to make this healthy for us, real for us new for us. We remember You and Your sacrifice. And we thank You and we praise You for that. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you come and receive the elements, please? In the crushing In the pressing you are You're making new wine in the soil I now surrender. You are breaking new ground. So I yield to you into your careful hand. When I trust you, I don't need to understand. Make me a vessel, make me an offering, make me whatever you want me to be. I came here with nothing, but all you have given me, Jesus, bring new wine out of me. In the crushing. In the pressing, you are you're making a new wine. In the soil, I now surrender. You are breaking new ground. Make me your vessel. Make me an offering, make me whatever you want me to be. I came here with nothing, but all you have given me. Jesus, bring new wine out of me. That night that Jesus instituted this meal, he told us as often as we do it, do it in remembrance of Him, but He also gave a little prophetic utterance that I think of every time we have communion. He said, I'm not going to eat this meal with you until I do it in my Father's kingdom. 
See, there's a day coming when we're going to observe this meal, this celebration at the wedding feast in heaven. Celebrating our union with Christ. There's a day coming when we'll eat this together in the heavenlies. And that's what we're looking forward to. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you again for listening. If you want more access to Alpha Ministries teaching, you can like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and visit our website. All times and dates for services and other events are on our website listed in the show notes. 